Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. It's Curious City, where we take your questions about Chicago and the region and investigate, report, explore from WBEZ. I'm Quinn Myers, and we're starting this week's Curious City slightly off the beaten path in a dumpster lined alley on the near north side, not far from the Magnificent Mile. I'm here to meet up with Paul Easton, a high school English teacher from Skokie. Oh, yeah, lovely. Uh... Lovely garage. (laughs) In this same spot a hundred years ago, instead of dumpsters and rat poison warnings, visitors would have stumbled upon a hand-painted sign that read, Step high, stoop low, leave your dignity outside. It was the entrance to one of Chicago's most famous creative spaces, a place called the Dill Pickle Club. Paul says his interest in the club comes from exploring Chicago with his family as a kid. We'd go to Band the Bomb concerts, we'd go to... Uh, communist bookstores down in Lincoln Park, and we'd go in all these places. And so because I'm fascinated with Chicago literature and I've got sort of that protest streak in me, uh, the Dill Pickle Club was something that I was always interested in. But while he has heard a little bit about the Dill Pickle Club, Paul wants to know what exactly was this place and what happened to it. The club is shrouded in myth and legendary tales of artistic genius, sexual liberation, and literary hedonism. But indisputably, the Dill Pickle was a creative laboratory for some of Chicago's most influential writers and artists, and also tells a larger story about the tensions that have always sprung up between radical movements and mainstream parts of society. The Dill Pickle Club story starts in the 1910s in a place called Tower Town. Tower Town was a former high-end district located near the famous Chicago Water Tower, for which it's named. It had fallen out of favor with the rich, but became increasingly attractive to many of the city's artists, writers, and bohemians. And the reason why people were attracted there is the same reason why kind of creatively-minded people settle in certain parts of the city today, which is like the rents were cheap. That's Paul DeRica, director of programs for Illinois Humanities. What you see, you know, happening in addition to all of these sort of creative people moving into the area uh, are the sort of creation of of almost what we'd call sort of like DIY spaces today. So kind of like scrappy little efforts that provided a place where people could come together and create and commune. The one that became best known and is best remembered today is the Dill Pickle Club. When the Dill Pickle sprung up, Tower Town was already a hotbed of political activity. Anarchists, socialists, and labor agitators mixed with hobos and other transients. This was happening as the city experienced rapid industrialization and growth. But it's also a place that's increasingly like drawing artists, writers, people interested in the theater to it. And, and, and you know, much like the city itself, they're really kind of interested in, in innovation. Around this time, a labor organizer named Jack Jones started holding events at a bookstore near Washington Square Park, also known as Bughouse Square. But Jones saw the need for a permanent space for artists and radicals to exchange ideas. By 1917, Jones acquired a nearby barn in Tooker Alley between Dearborn and State Streets. 
That space would become home to the Dill Pickle Club. Dorica says you'd enter the alley guided by a glowing green light. And that's where you'd see that sign on the orange door. Step high, stoop low, leave your dignity outside. And then you kind of descend into kind of a long, also narrow room, kind of brightly painted and decorated with a weird sort of assemblage of of chairs and benches and, and tables. You might be able to order a cheap sandwich. You might be able to get a cup of lemonade. But what you're really there for is the atmosphere for the conversation. Supposing we consider women equal partners in a marriage. That's an extraordinary The Dill Pickle started hosting lectures, debates, political forums, plays, dances, and everything in between. The air would have been thick with cigarette smoke, and you might stumble inside to find an Adam and Eve-themed costume party or a lecture on painless childbirth, including a not-to-be-missed moving picture of a cesarean operation. It quickly grew into a kind of freewheeling, low-stakes creative workshop, a place where anything could happen and anyone might show up, including famous Chicago writers like Carl Sandburg and Sherwood Anderson. While the Dill Pickle is often remembered for its now famous patrons, an incredible mix of people hung out there. In 1919, Anderson wrote that on any given night, you might find a streetcar conductor talking to a college professor, talking to a hobo. Liesl Olson is the director of Chicago Studies at the Newberry Library. She says many nights the Dill Pickle was also a meeting place for queer Chicagoans. The Dill Pickle was famous for their masquerade balls, for their Halloween parties. And by all accounts, there was, um, you know, very visible uh, expressions of uh, intimacy uh, among same-sex people at the Dill Pickle. And it became very known for being kind of a, a welcoming space. By the early to mid-1920s, in part thanks to frequent newspaper coverage, the Dill Pickle Club's popularity outside of Tower Town started to grow. But that attention wasn't always a good thing. During Prohibition, Jack Jones was allegedly pressured by the mob to sell illegal booze, and their presence repeatedly drew the attention of police. The club's notoriety also began to attract more middle-class professionals who were looking to observe and be entertained by the Bohemians. Olson says that by the early 1930s... It was pretty well-known in the city, um, and it even turns up in some guidebooks to the city. If you want to experience the real Chicago, maybe you go visit the stockyards, maybe you go to the Dill Pickle. This new popularity led, in part, to rising housing prices in Tower Town, and there were the beginnings of what we now call gentrification. Author Daniel K. Hertz writes about this process in his book, The Battle of Lincoln Park. There's totally this sense that, like, that feels very modern of, like, you know, these people with more money but who are less interesting um, have come in and sort of ruined our neighborhood and taken it over. Hertz says by the late 20s, the Bohemians in Tower Town were getting priced out. I don't want the takeaway to be, oh, the Dill Pickle gentrified Tower Town, right? But the Dill Pickle played, uh, you know, it, it played its role, which was partly to attract, you know, people who otherwise would not have come to the neighborhood to the neighborhood. Essentially, the radical underground wasn't so underground anymore. But the final death blow to the Dill Pickle was really the Great Depression. The club stopped bringing in money and was forced to close its doors roughly around 1931. Although Jack Jones did try to reopen several times with limited success. But while the Dill Pickle has been gone for almost a century, the spirit of the club, with its focus on artistic innovation and intellectual freedom, lives on in Chicago. 
Bill Savage is an English professor at Northwestern, where he focuses mainly on Chicago literature and culture. He says the Dill Pickle Club captured an important part of what makes a creative space successful. It was open to everyone. Essentially, anyone could get up and perform or debate with a stranger about the latest political news. Savage says that's essential to a city's creative life. It's easy and fun to look back at the history of a place like the Dill Pickle Club, but you ought to look up and say, where is it going on now? Where can I go and hear an exciting new young writer who hasn't published a book yet? Where can I go and hear a musician who's just starting out but clearly has some chops? And Savage says all of that is still happening in Chicago today. There's the co-prosperity sphere in Bridgeport. Comfort Station in Logan Square, and countless other storefront theaters and DIY spaces across the city. His particular favorites are the music and performing arts venue The Hideout and the jazz club The Green Mill. Places like the Dill Pickle Club have grown into or evolved into places like The Hideout or The Green Mill. We've got it now. Let's let's eat it up while we can. Support for Curious City comes from the Conant Family Foundation. Listen to our podcast at wbez.org slash Curious City or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Quinn Myers. Next time on Curious City... When people move to Chicago, they expect cold winters, signature pizza, and impressive architecture. But sometimes, little things surprise you. Well, I was really surprised by the forest preserve system, and woods are really cool. The number of cars that had Christmas wreaths. And something I really did not expect was just how fast people walk here. And it's wonderful. A listener-inspired love letter to Chicago. That's next time on WBEZ's Curious City. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you.